Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. Chrisanne Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm getting sort of situated in my seat here. <laughs> JC's not here today, so I'm trying to get myself on the camera right. It's different when you're with somebody and not with somebody, and <laughs> so here we go. Uh, thank you for joining us. You know what? JC's not here with me today, and neither is Mac. <laughs> so I am in the studio all by myself, except for those of you who are here with me vicariously. So thank you to everybody that's here. Uh, welcome Bonnie Lake, Washington, Middletown, New York, Georgia, uh, St. George, Utah. Yes, I will, JC and I will be in St. George, Utah in not very long, actually, just a couple weeks. I'm excited about that. I have some training coming up in Florida as well, in Palm Beach and Juniper, Florida. That will be Monday and Tuesday of this next week. We'll be in Juniper, Florida on Monday evening, and then on Tuesday afternoon. Did I have that right? I should better put that up. I'm going to give you guys all the wrong information here. So let's go ahead. Uh, here we go. Chris Ann Hall. Just so we make sure you don't miss the In Defense of Liberty training that we have coming up here. But here's how you do this. You just click on the calendar. There we are. And here is Chris Ann Hall's calendar. Whoop, whoop. There we are. All the way down here tomorrow, uh, Kate Daly Radio Show. So Tuesday, sorry. Tuesday evening will be Juniper, Florida. And it'll be on overreach of state and local governments, you know, the COVID stuff that you've been seeing. We're going to go through the Florida Constitution. We're going to check the power of the governor. We're going to check the power uh, according to the Constitution of the state of Florida and so on and see, so forth. See where we are with this property rights, individual liberties, that kind of thing. And then at 11.30 a.m. in Palm Beach, Florida, we're going to be talking about the right to peaceably assemble. What exactly is the difference between a riot and a protest? And so that will be this Tuesday and Wednesday. Remember, you can get all of this at chrisannhall.com and just clicking on the calendar. And so that's where we are today. So glad to have everybody here Look at this, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, um, Maryland, New Freedom, Pennsylvania, Upstate New York. Here we have in the Facebook chat room, who do we have here in the Facebook chat room? Suffolk, New York, Olympia, Washington. <laughs> I love this. Kamifornistan. All right. Uh, thank you for complimenting me on my blouse today. Estero, Florida. Loma, Colorado, Lowell, Oregon, Greenville, South Carolina, Wisconsin. Man, we are coast to coast and north to south. YouTube's been like dumping commercials in the like in the middle of the show. All of a sudden, boom, a commercial comes up and you've got to um, skip the ad. That's really got to be annoying for you guys. Well, but here we are nonetheless. Uh, I'm finding myself in a little bit of a hot seat, guys. Anybody want to come to my defense? 
jump in and hit that uh, like button over come here let me go I'll do it too there we go hit that like button hit that subscribe button if you're in uh, Facebook go ahead and hit that like button there and make sure that you share so that we can overcome the AI censorship. They censored us yesterday, the show yesterday, by the way, you knew they were gonna censor us. JC told you they were gonna censor us yesterday, but here we go. But I found myself in a bit of a hot seat with, with social media audiences because of a post that I made with Donald Trump's face on it. So here's what happened with that post. Let me go ahead and make you see the whole thing of it. This was on the media. President Trump asking Americans to use masks and social distance. I wish JC was here. He would love to hear the comments about this one. But I just simply tweeted, I know, I still know cloth masks don't stop COVID, even if Trump doesn't. Ooh, doggy. Did they jump on me like a bone, right? Seriously. Come on, guys. You know what I heard? This, this is what JC would have loved about this. Oh, trust the plan. Trust the plan. Come on, guys. Seriously. Do you know how many people told me uh, that... Donald Trump was playing 5D chess and he's actually telling people to wear masks as a form of, of uh, reverse psychology. So if Donald Trump says to wear masks, then the media be like, no, don't wear masks because Donald Trump says to wear a mask. <laughs> Come on, guys. Don't play games with lies and liberties. Okay? Masks don't stop COVID. And double masks don't stop COVID. Not the cloth ones that you use anyway. You have to have a sealed surface. Now everybody's, you know how they, you, you start talking about logic, you start talking about reason, and then, then the ignorance start moving the goalposts. Oh, well, we never said it stopped COVID. We said it helped control COVID. Oh, we never said it helped stop COVID from going. It just stops the water droplets from, le you know, leaving your mask. All of those things are absolutely wrong. A cloth mask does not stop water droplets from leaving your face, okay? What it does is a scientific process called nebulizing. What it does is it actually breaks down the bigger droplets that would have actually fallen to the ground. Like if you sneezed, boom, there they go because they're so heavy they fall to the ground. Now all of a sudden they're not falling to the ground because you're particulating them into many, many many, many, much, much, much smaller pieces. You're actually giving the virus flight. It would not have if you didn't have the mask on. Look that term up. Nebulize. Nebulize. That's what we got going on here. Just to follow up on yesterday's show, we talked about uh, the federal government's authority to bring federal forces 
agents, police, into a local environment to enforce the law. Now remember, I told you, only under very specific circumstances does the Constitution allow the President to do that. And the only way the President has the authority to do that is to, under the authority of Congress, or autonomously, to defend federal property. And that's sort of an iffy thing there. So, you know, like I said, moving the goalposts, the argument now comes from, and I know these guys are like loved people. We love, people love them. I don't know, but let me just remind you, we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over personality here. So here is an article from Andrew McCarthy. Portland riots, ooh, I have to sneeze, I have to sneeze, it's not COVID. <coughs> and the droplets fell to the ground. Just teasing. Andrew McCarthy says, Portland riots, it's Trump's constitutional duty to enforce federal law, and he should. Okay? Portland riots. Now, let's remember, we must distinguish between two classifications of Portland riots. The ones that took place on federal courthouse grounds and the ones that did not. What happens is, is they make these broad generalizations, and that's where the problem exists. And so here's a new goalpost for us to talk about, because Andrew McCartney says, Article 2, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution gives the president the duty to execute federal laws. Now let's, let's just be very clear. Article 2... Section 3 is, is long. It has a whole list of things. And I, I think I'll just go ahead and read them to you. Just so you realize, this is a list of things, okay? He, meaning the president, shall from time to time give the Congress information of the State of the Union. Notice that the State of the Union address, by the way, a little bonus for your educational dollar, is not an address to the people. The State of the Union address is not to inform the people of what their president is doing because the president is not a representative of the people. The State of the Union address is a function of the president to update Congress on the activities, the needs, and the wants of the executive branch. It is also to uh, recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and, ex and, and expedient in the State of the Union Address. He may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both, house, both houses, the House and the Senate, or either of them, and in case of disagreement between them with the respect to the time of adjournment, he, can, he may adjourn them to such a time as he should think proper. So the only check and balance there is when Congress can't decide when to end Congress, the president can come in and say, okay, I'm ending your session. Session ended till I say you can come back. He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers. By the way, that's not just an open declaration. He can't just go in and walk into Congress and say, session over, you can come back when I want you to. It has to be in the case of a disagreement between them when this is going to happen, right? So, may adjourn as to such a time as he shall think proper. 
He shall receive ambassadors and other public ministers. Here's the part that Andrew McCarthy is talking about. He shall take care. We'll go ahead and put that up there. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed and shall commission all officers of the United States. He shall take care that the laws of the, of, of, I'm sorry. He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Now, Andrew McCarthy says that those few words right there, give the president of the United States the duty to execute federal laws. Now, in a general blanket statement, I would disagree with that because some federal laws are not in compliance, are not made in pursuance to the Constitution. Article 6, Clause 3, Clause 2 says that are that acts of Congress that are not made in pursuance to the Constitution are null and void. So the President of the United States does not have a duty under Article 2, Section 3, to enforce laws made by Congress that are not made in pursuance to the Constitution. So that's distinction number one. Distinction number two, he has the authority to enforce federal laws that are constitutionally authorized. He does not have the authority to enforce state laws. In the case of Portland, he has the authority to enforce the protection of the, the federal court building, enforcing the laws of, uh, you know, not to vandalize federal property, not to commit arson on federal property, not to, to trespass on, on federal property, not to commit crimes on federal property. So that's where his jurisdiction rests. And that's where his jurisdiction ends. So, if the federal government, if the President of the United States is to constitutionally exercise an authority, it has to be made in pursuance to the Constitution. So you can't make the blanket charge that Donald Trump has a constitutional duty to get involved with the Portland riots. He has the constitutional duty to enforce the laws on federal property and to secure the federal uh, courthouse. I wanted to read this part to you um, because, once again, it's this kind of crazy, I don't know, idea about the role of the president. Okay, so let's, I'm going to pop this back up here again and I'm going to scroll through it so you can see it. So he says, it, it's just irritating. He says, um, Article 2, Section 3 says, He shall take care that the laws be faithfully executed. The Constitution says that the president that's the president's job, but we're not hearing much about that from the chattering classes. Um, maybe because you're stretching the envelope here a little bit. He goes on to say, But we don't hear much about the Constitution, including from politicians such as Senator Rand Paul, who are wont to pose as constitutionalists. Come on, Andrew. Come on now. Don't turn into one of the liberal Marxists and start casting stones and calling names even when you're not actually accurate. Because that would not be a good thing to be inaccurate and calling names at the same time. 
He says the provision quoted at the top of this op-ed is from Article 3, Section 2. It imposes on the President of the United States the duty to execute federal law. It poses the duty for him to execute federal laws made in pursuance to the Constitution. That is the check and balance that rests in the hands of the executive over the legislative, an essential check and balance of the executive over the legislative, to not enforce legislative acts contrary to the Constitution. He has a duty to refuse to enforce them. So just to be clear, the Constitution says the president shall perform this obligation, but remember, it only applies he shall execute the laws of the United States and Article two, Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution, Article 6, Clause 2 of the Constitution defines laws of the United States as those made in pursuance to the Constitution. So if, if Mr. McCartney's going to start casting constitutional stones, then he should be constitutionally accurate when he speaks, especially if he's going to call it a solemn duty. Okay, so here's what he says. The president has two principal closely related responsibilities. One, to provide for the national security and to see that the laws are enforced. We just jumped the constitutional rails. Yes, we read in Article 2, Section 3, that the president has a duty to enforce, to see that the laws of the United States are enforced, and we know laws of the United States, as defined in Article 6, Clause 2, is those made in pursuance to the Constitution. But you will not find anywhere in Article 2 a clause that says the President of the United States shall provide for national security. Not there. Not there, Mr. McCartney. That's what we call bait and switch. Bait and switch here, people, by Mr. Andrew McCartney as he's casting constitutional stones in a glass house. So let's just be clear now. Liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Whoop, whoop, Charlie Zern. Thank you for the super chat. Super chat. Thank you, Charlie Zern says, as is federal agents snatching people out of the street into unmarked cars a violation of the Tenth Amendment, the feds overstepping their bounds and superseding state sovereignty? Uh, that would be one of many violations in that. Somebody had mentioned to me, hey, there's no proof that these people were DHS. Um, no, uh, that's actually sort of not true. We now have proof, and we watched, watched the show yesterday. If you were the person who left that comment, I can't remember if it was in Facebook or on YouTube. But if you left that comment, then go back to yesterday's show, and we showed you that it's actually Border Patrol that's taking responsibility for the unmarked vehicles and that sort of thing. And Border Patrol now falls under the Department of Homeland Security, even though the Department of Homeland Security said, no, no, I don't know, wasn't us, whatever. So let's be clear. The power of the president is very limited. And in this case, so is his authority to snatch people, okay? So, story number two. 
story number two. Are you ready for this? Follow the money. Pfizer, in a pact to provide the U.S. with 100 million COVID-19 vaccine doses. How much is that going to cost? $1.95 billion pact to provide the U.S. government with 100 million doses of COVID-19 vaccinations. Guess what? Listen to this next line. Ready? I'll just read the whole thing for you, just so you can let it sink in. See how many uh, people who actually understand economics and government can raise their hand in our chat rooms and go, ooh, 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 I know the problem here. Pfizer said Wednesday, it has signed a $1.95 billion, yes, billion with a B, pact to provide the U.S. government with 100 million doses of COVID-19 vaccinations. Americans will receive the vaccine for free, the pharmaceutical company said. Alrighty, here we go. Going back to the chat rooms. Who can tell me what's wrong with that statement. What, anybody, anybody, Bueller, 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 Bueller. Hmm. Who do we got? Free. Yeah, there you go. I send her free. Free, free. You already told us that it's going to cost $1.95 billion. Exactly, Daniel. Who's paying the $1.95 billion? Who do we got? Do we have to be over here? Yep, yep, there you go, guys. <laughs> Michael says, not free. Our taxes are paying for them. How can you declare that the U.S., that Americans are getting something for free when they're, you're taking money out of their pockets to pay for it? I want to understand this kind of economics, to be honest with you. I, I, I truly, truly want to understand what that means. If I take money from you and give you something, right? I'm going to go ahead and reach in your pocket. I'm going to grab 10 bucks and I'm going to give you a candy bar. And I'm going to tell you I gave it to you for free. How many of you are going to, I don't know. It's, it is, it is MRGF78. <laughs> Are you taking JC's example that he talked about yesterday? We need to stop naming things. Just put numbers and letters on them so that we're not racist anymore. Do you know, speaking, I don't mean to like jump the rail, but while we're talking about the culture, the, the uh, cancel culture here, how long before the Minnesota Vikings have to change their name? Seriously, are we going to have some Vikings become offended by the cultural approbation of their name in Minnesota. 
Just thinking, right? Because after all, we learned the other day that adultism means that children have equal rights to parents and that children's, even, even toddlers, should be able to determine how their time is spent and what food they should eat and can eat. Not kidding. That's actual reality. Nate Bama. Hey, Nate, I noticed that you didn't say Roll Tide today. Is that because JC's not here today? <laughs> Nate Bama. Steal from Peter to pay Peter. That's exactly what this is. Stealing from Peter to pay Peter. Aw, Daniel gave me another super chat. Thank you for the name shout out. You are very welcome. Well, you guys are on a super chat roll today. Look at that. It's We got Charlie. We got... Uh, Nate and we got Daniel starting the super chat roll. <laughs> William rolled in the roll tide there. Thank you guys. It's so nice to have you guys here when JC's not here. So there you go. Pfizer is going to give us $1.95 billion worth of vaccinations for free as long as we pay for them. Oh my goodness. The deal for the vaccine, which is being developed with BioNTech, includes the right to purchase up to an additional 500 million doses. 500 million doses, Pfizer said in their statement. It could manufacture up to 100 million doses by the end of 2020, it added. There you go. Vaccinations before the end of the year. And remember what we talked about yesterday with Delta telling you that uh, you can only fly if you get an eval from their online doctor. So guess what? What's next? You're only going to fly. You're only going to have commerce if you have a vaccination. See, that's going to be the thing. Wear a mask or get a vaccination. So... What happens if you are um, not going to do either? I want to share something that I wrote with you today uh, before we get to the story that I, the, the last story of the day, how um, religious leaders warn against Pompeo's push for religious freedom as a priority of human rights. Understanding now we're going to get into a talk about what human rights is and how we actually understand how that's going to be applied. So I want to read to you because I want to give you something. I'm going to be I'm going to be publishing this just so you know. Well, there we go. And I had it, I actually went through the trouble of printing it out. And I, I just realized that I left it on my printer so I don't have it. But there's something that's been really ticking me off lately, and I know you guys have heard this. This is a case called Jacobson v. Massachusetts, okay? It's a 1905 mandatory vaccination case. And once again, just like every other Supreme Court case that's out there that people run their mouths on and don't even bother to read... Oh, look, Mac wants to come back in. All right, come on in. I'll move it. Hold on, let me move. I got to move JC's chair. There we go. All right, Mac's in the house, everybody. Just like every other Supreme Court opinion that people are always running their mouths about and never actually reading it, 
Uh, I want to tell, I, I, I wrote something up for a friend in Arkansas who's going through some issues, okay? So, Chad, listen up. I'm going to tell you, Chad. Hi, Chad. We met Chad the other day. So I'm going to, Chad, Chad is awesome. I'm going to share with you what I wrote about this case, Jacobson v. Massachusetts. All right? And I'm just going to read it so I don't wander too far. But are you ready? Here we go. To rely on Jacobson v. Massachusetts as an authority in the enforcement of an order from the governor to wear masks, and I will say even more so, even to vaccinations, okay? Because Jacobson v. Massachusetts is about forced vaccinations for the polio virus, okay? But we're not talking, or I'm sorry, not polio, smallpox, okay? For smallpox, right? We're not talking, they're using this case to say that the governor can force you to wear a mask because the Supreme Court in Jacobson v. Massachusetts. So Jacobson doesn't have to do with masks, okay? It has to do with police powers and forced vaccination for smallpox. So here we go. To rely on Jacobson v. Massachusetts as an authority in the enforcement of an order from the governor to wear masks is not only authoritatively inaccurate, but legally irresponsible. This case is over a hundred years old, and it has not been reviewed in the light of due process for over 90 years. To say this case has authority simply because it has, quote, withstood the passing of time and challenges, end quote, is the very, in the very least an exaggeration, if not a fabrication. I would ask any attorney that makes the argument that Jacobson is controlling simply because it has withstood the test of time. Should we also resurrect Buck v. Bell, which used Jacobson to justify involuntary sterilization of more than 60,000 Americans, mostly poor women? Or perhaps we should reassert Korematsu v. United States justifying the forced incarceration of Japanese-American men, women, and children without due process in the name of national security. Interestingly enough, even, in the, even the court in Jacobson did not, the, the court in Jacobson did not even try to assert that police powers of the state were unlimited or based solely on the state's definition of necessity. The court said, the police power of a state whether exercised by the legislature or by a local body acting under its authority, not a governor, by the way, because a governor does not have the authority to issue law, and any order by a governor that is expected to be enforced as law is a violation of your state constitution separation of powers. He says, maybe may be exerted in such circumstances or by regulations to be so arbitrary and oppressive in a particular case as to justify the interference of the courts to prevent wrong and oppression. So they're saying, look, even, even though we're saying that police powers exist, we're telling you that there are circumstances where police powers can be so arbitrary and oppressive that we would not allow them. Now, the state's sovereign power to make laws of all kinds has not changed during the past century. What has changed since Jacobson is the U.S. Supreme Court's recognition of the importance of individual liberty and how, its limit, how it limits that power. And by these facts, 
It is highly unlikely in this day that Jacobson would survive the strict scrutiny of our modern courts. So there you go, guys. Strict scrutiny. Jacobson is a ridiculous argument to make. It is absolutely ludicrous. And we cannot allow these people uh, to, to be able to come across and use these old archaic cases that will not, th that have not been challenged. I've had people say, it's, it's survived challenge. No, it has not been challenged in, in 90 years. It has not been challenged in 90 years. So don't tell me it has survived challenge. And I don't care if it was challenged yesterday. The very decree, the very guarantee of due process says that I have a right to assert a challenge. I have that. So I don't want some, some blowhard, megamaniac, meta-message, brainiac attorney telling me, imbecile, trained into ignorance, telling me that Jacobson is controlling in this from a legal perspective, so I should just suck it up and wear my mask or get force injected because over a hundred years ago, some Supreme Court justices said that it's okay. These are completely different times, completely different circumstances, and the same nincompoops that would try to push Jacobson on you would tell you that we have a living, breathing constitution that should be interpreted for modern times. So see how it's convenient for them to pull back into the annals of history, even when they're absolutely, completely, ridiculously outrageous. Talk about human rights. I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about here in a few minutes. These same people, these same people, yeah, Richard, Oliver Wender Holmes, man, he, he, he was a, I don't know, I think he was a megalomaniac. He, he, he was very, very narcissistic, I believe. But anyway, these same people that would tell you Jameson will force vaccinate you will tell you that we have a human rights problem in America will tell you that we have a, a uh, what is that, a, a um, inherent problem, a, a systemic problem with, with, with racism. So, do you want us to overcome the mistakes of our past? Or do you want to keep repeating them as long as they fulfill your needs? Because that's not how human rights work. So, Jacobson. Jacobson is not controlling today. Bottom line, not. An attorney could come up and say, you know, we assert Jacobson, but you can hardly say that it's controlling. A Supreme Court, give me a break. A Supreme Court over a hundred years ago. Yeah. Tell that to Dred Scott. Tell that to Mr. Korematsu. These people are so stupid. It just really, really stinking annoys me. 
So here's the story that I wanted to talk to you about. Religious leaders warn against Pompeo's push for religious freedom as a priority human right. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about this because we have several problems with the whole situation. Okay, I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you that this whole thing is right or wrong. I'm going to tell you, give you the Liberty Constitution perspective of this and where we should be watching out for this. First and foremost, what I want you to understand is that Pompeo started a Commission for Unalienable Rights on July 16th, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, on July 8th, 2019. And on July 16, 2020, the Commission released a draft report to the general public, uh, which is a consensus document that was signed and approved unanimously by all 11 commissioners of the, uh, the this, oh, what is it called? Commission on Inalienable Rights. This is basically policy, there you have it there, policy planning staff. This is a an executive agency think tank to create policy that will tell you uh, who these people are and what is what is actually an inalienable right. Why does the executive branch have the authority to tell us what is an inalienable right and what is not an inalienable right? Can I remind you that the very premise that the government can define an inalienable right gives them the right to eliminate them? It's the whole reason, by the way, that we have the Ninth Amendment in the Constitution. Those of you who are Liberty First University students, let's just go ahead and put that up there. LibertyFirstUniversity.com uh, go ahead and sign up. You can take a class called The Great Debate that teaches you why we actually have the Ninth Amendment. And the Ninth Amendment says, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Just because we have a Bill of Rights doesn't mean that everything in the Bill of Rights is the end of, of who we are. It's not the sum and total of all of our rights, just because they're written down. As a matter of fact, the written down ones are just the beginning. The rest of them are innumerable. Our rights, <laughs> Mac decided he was going to leave. Our rights are not to be defined by government. When you take the Liberty First University class, called The Great Debate, you will hear Alexander Hamilton say, well, I guess you'll hear Chris Ann Hall tell you what Alexander Hamilton said, that to define a right is the grants the authority to regulate that right. So problem number one, the existence of this, this group called the Commission on inalienable rights. Now, let's read what this says right here. July, 28, uh, July 8, 2019, Secretary of State Michael Pompeo announced the formation of a Commission on Inalienable Rights. The Commission, 
composed of academics, philosophers, and activists, will provide the Secretary with advice on human rights grounded in our nation's founding principles. Hello, JC. Everybody going to give JC a wave? <laughs> All right. Listen. Uh, we'll provide the Secretary with advice on human rights grounded in our nation's founding principles. And the principles, are you ready? Are you ready? And the principles of the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Everybody know what that is, right? That's the United Nations. The Commission on Inalienable Rights is a commission to debate how our Constitution and our founding principles match up with the UN's Declaration of Human Rights. What do you think, JC? You think it's time for me to go back through that class I did not, uh, those several years ago, where I compared our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution to the UN Con Charter and the UN Declaration of Human Rights? I think that would be great. I mean, seriously, we've got a... Maybe, maybe they could use that in their meetings. I don't know, man. It's, it's just, it's really interesting. So, my first question when I saw this headline, JC, is why, first off, why are religious leaders upset that Pompeo wants to push religious freedom as a priority human right? Would that not make you scratch your head? Why would religious leaders not want that? Maybe. Yeah. Depends on so, the context. Who's, who's saying this? Well, that's, that's a very, very good question. More than 30 faith leaders issued a warning against Secretary of State Pompeo's new push to put property rights and religious freedom at the forefront of American dis diplomacy. Here are, uh, where'd they go? Uh, I have them up here. Oh, it's right here. Here is their statement, and here's who they are. Okay. That's who they are. I don't know these people. Yeah. So we have Reverend Amanda Hambrick from the Executive Minister for Justice, Education, and Movement Building, Middle Coll Collegiate Church. We have the CEO. Okay, that sound like religion. Yeah. We have the like CEO. Social justice. Yeah, exactly. We have a CEO of the American Jewish World Service. We have Susan Barnett, founder, Faiths for Safe Water. What? Water worship? Faiths for Safe Water. Okay. Uh, Rabbi Sharon Browse uh, with the I-K-A-R-L-A. I don't know what that is. Uh, Reverend Jennifer Butler, CEO of Faith and Public Life. We've got somebody from Georgetown <laughs> University. Uh, I like this one. Leaders of, of nuns, nuns on, on the, the bus. bus. Yes. I don't know what Sister that is. Simone Campbell. Sounds kind of funny. Uh, Shane Claiborne, co-founder of Red Letter Christians. I actually highlighted that because I went to find the Red Letter Christians. But you look through this list. That's basically Red Christians. Red Christians? Yeah. Marxists. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. Absolutely. Here they are. Red Letter Christians. Staying true to the foundation of combining Jesus and justice. See, the goal of Red Letter Christians is simple, to take Jesus seriously about endeavoring to live out his radical counterculture teachings. 
as set forth in Scripture, and especially embracing the lifestyle prescribed in the Sermon of the Mount. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it's just, it's it's very interesting. When you get into what they, they do, it's all about social justice. It's all about uh, redistribution of wealth. And that's who the red letter Christians are. But they're upset, JC, and I and and this is their statement. We and, and this is again, this points back to the human the UN Human Rights Manifesto, okay? As leaders of diverse faith traditions, we join together to express our grave concerns about the draft report of the State Department's Commission on Inalienable Rights mm -hmm. and the potential that, it, uh, that its approach, which seeks to elevate religious freedom above other human rights, will weaken religious freedom itself and undermine respect for and damage the protections of the universal values of human dignity. I see. Uh, so are they... Am I to understand that the objection is prioritizing freedom of religion over other rights? Because I could kind of see that. Uh, that well, it's not just simply prioritizing. It's the idea that that you're not mentioning the other things that they feel are... Remember, we're talking about inalienable rights, right? That's what our commission is supposed to be talking about, inalienable rights. They're talking about universal human rights. Right, which would so, include free education, free... It's all yeah, about what's free. Right, and that's exactly... Which, which of course, nothing is free. In other, in other words, at mm -hmm. no cost to us, yes. paid for by the so-called rich. That's, right. that's their right. view of human It's right here in the third paragraph, JC. It says, Freedom of religion is equally and inextricably linked with all other interconnected rights that enable humans to live in dignity. Without the rights to peacefully assemble, the right freedom of speech, freedom from violence, freedom from discrimination in access to basic needs. Mm -hmm. Education, employment is an inalienable right. Okay? Right. Education is an inalienable right. Employment is an inalienable right. Health is an inalienable right. Our right to participate in all social practices, right? Human rights are mutually reinforcing. None is subordinate to another, nor should anyone be denied these rights because of who they are or whom they love. Okay, so here what you have is somebody trying to say that your right to freedom of religion is equal to your right to have a job. Okay. And that's, that's this. That's, that's what this is all about. I, 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 this is the problem now when you enter into these conversations, JC. I think it goes back to your lesson on rights versus benefits exactly right because when you think about what we call religious freedom or freedom of conscience mm -hmm. it really is how the actual sort of uh for forefathers let's say who formulated the expression of these things really talking yeah. about freedom of conscience because it's bigger than religion right uh but that's a that's an out outflowing thing. Yes. You know what I mean? Because 
I worship, I choose, I I produce that in in a sense. A job is is not that, right? A a job, well, as far as you, I mean, a job you have to get a job, right? Somebody has to make that, in other words. So you can either do that yourself, right? right? Then in that case, you certainly have the, the, the liberty to... I'm, that would fall into property, right? You have the liberty to create wealth in that sense of, right. of of making property. But when you say a job, that's employment. Right. That's somebody else. And that's exactly what they said in their letter for you. Yes. Right. That's not outflowing. That's mm-hmm. then you you say you're basically saying, or they're basically saying, and this is the, the core distinction I think you made between the uh, rights and benefits in that scenario. You are putting a demand on someone else, right? Inalienable rights don't put demands on others. Right. Okay, I, I'm not asking anyone else for anything. Right. It's it's a it's a here's here's my bubble, mm-hmm. right? Here's my sphere. I, I get to do what I want to do with what's mine within within my mm-hmm. arena. Right. Okay. The the benefits and their their mindset, the job, healthcare, that means you have to identify another person and say that portion of wealth that you have created, that opportunity you've made, that business you've built, I claim ownership to that. Right. Exactly. And that that's that's why that the inalienable rights and so called universal human rights. Are, can't coexist. They they are not no. compatible. No, they're, they're not, not the same thing. Because they're completely the, right. Diametrically opposed philosophical concepts. Let me one one claims property from another person, while while the other says what I can create or do that doesn't put a demand or imposition on anybody mm-hmm. else. I should be able to do that. Those That's are right. completely diametrically opposed. And now let me show you this because as Richard Kramer very accurately puts forward, well our our foundation is built on the premise of natural rights. And first and foremost in those natural rights is the duty of self-preservation, which is property, right? Because you have a right to your property, you have a property in your rights, and in those property rights that are are in are intrinsic to the nat- the self-preservation thing, right? Well, I want to read. I want to show you this. I want to put this back up on the screen. I know it's a little bit difficult. I wonder if I put one of my other views. There we go. That's probably better. All right. So remember, we've got this paragraph here. Freedom of religion is equally and inextricably linked with all the uh, with all other interconnected rights that enable humans to live in dignity. Right. What do you think this one means, JC? This uh, freedom from violence. That well, that's the anti-gun. That's the gun control, right? Right. Control. That that's is absolutely gun control. Freedom, Another. That's, that's a United Nations code word. Yes. Those are fr- that's a phrase that the UN uh, uses mm-hmm. to put forth that gun control message. Right. Free, freedom from violence, and that's the whole thing because people talk about they want to use the language of freedom. Mm-hmm. Right, so they're 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 trying to code their messages right. in in these freedom phrases, freedom from discrimination, right. freedom from violence. 
Um, yeah. And it's not that. Right, I mean, exactly. Because you're talking about controlling others. Right. I'm, I'm well, free. Well, not only that. I'm, I'm naturally free to defend the life that belongs to me. Well, not only that, you're not naturally, you're not just naturally free, you're naturally entitled. I mean, that is, that is a law of nature of self-preservation, and that just proves another uh, aspect of how these uh, human, universal human rights are diametrically opposed to the foundational principles of America. If you are, and, and, and it's impossibly freedom from violence. It's absolutely yeah. impossible. Because I have a right what, to defend myself you have a right from to defend, violence. Exactly. No one like, can guarantee your freedom from, like, no one can guarantee the absence of violence. Right, and to assert that you should be that allowed, you, can, you should be allowed yeah. to make every effort to keep violence from touching you. Right, yourself. And gun control is the opposite of that. Gun control right, says, I'm going to deprive you right. of the means to defend you. Not only that, when you have the government depriving you of your right to secure your own life, to secure yourself from violence, what happens then is that the government always becomes the source of violence. Mm. So then now all of a sudden you cannot be free from this, okay? So uh, Rob Jackson asks here in the chat room, so what's the motivation of Pompeo in this commission? Great question. That's a really great question, but again, can we? I'll just read to you what it says so you can make your own decision. Uh, we'll provide the secretary with advice on human rights grounded in our national founding principles and the principles of the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So it sounds like an attempt at a fusion. Yes. Between. Yes. The idea of natural rights, natural law, yes. and this Universal Declaration of Human Human Rights. And again, these things are at their at their philosophical core, they are opposites. Yes. Yes. And so how so how do you fuse this? How do you get advice r grounded in both of those things at the same time? I I don't know how a person can 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 accomplish that. Right. Well, they said that Pompeo is seeking to use the commission's report to justify marginalizing certain rights, thus diminishing human rights advocacy and stifling demands for accountability for those whose rights have been violated. It's an, they, they firmly uphold the universality and invisibility of rights. Now, I want to show you something um, that, I, that I stumbled across. We have a few minutes left, but I want, to I want to show you something that I stumbled across that is a universal human right, according to these people. Just to give you an idea of what this is all about. Development is a universal human right. What does that mean, development? We the heads, the UN Millennium Declaration says, we the heads of state and government are committed to making the right to development a reality for everyone and to freeing the entire human race from want. So we're talking about uh, like commercial develop, like community, you know, Dude, I, I don't know. The right, here it is, Article 1. The right to development is an inalienable human right by virtue of which every human person and all peoples are entitled to participate in, 
contribute to, and enjoy economic, social, cultural, and political development in which all human rights and fundamental freedoms can be fully realized. The right the human right to development also implies the full realization of the right of the peoples to self-determination, which includes subject to the relevant provision of both international covenants on human rights and the exercise of their inalienable right to full sovereignty over all their natural wealth and resources. You know, it's really a bunch of confusion, actually. It absolutely and, and is. And I think that's the nature of the United Nations, because you have all of these I mean, you, you know, hundreds of different world views, and they're trying to put that together and come up with a declaration, even those two statements, completely contradictory, because the one is another typical UN claim on the wealth of wherever they can get it, whoever, whomever they can get it from. Yeah. Then while at the same time saying you have, you have an inalienable right to exercise your sovereignty, wealth over the resources... But maybe that's where the global citizen idea comes in, because when they say we have a right to exercise, you know, uh, sovereignty over the resources, then they can say, well, they're global resources. Yes. Because so so for us, I think from an American mindset, when you read that sentence, you would think, yeah, I got a right to, to do what I want with what I earn. I, I yep. my my property and my earnings belong to me. But then that's don't not forget, what they're saying. No, because don't forget number one, right? Which says that you have an inalienable right by the virtue of which every human being and human person and all peoples are entitled to participate, contribute and enjoy economic, social, cultural and political development. So we basically saying we have a right to claim resources to fund our utopian vision. Yes. That's what they're saying. Yes. And it's a bunch of doublespeak. Yeah. I think part of it goes back to as they're crafting this with, with the different nations that they have involved, they have to put in language that other nations, you know, can can give assent to. Yeah. Right? The you you know, the America well maybe at that time I don't know, you know, maybe they would, but well, today they wouldn't say, Yeah, you have a right to all of our stuff. Well for me, JC this this and I'm glad because I remember when when this came out last year I, I talked about this and I have totally forgotten about it I'm glad this is back before our faces because this this commission is not a move in the right direction Richard Kramer says well, danger Will Robinson danger Will Robinson this is not a move this is actually a move in the opposite direction this is a way to get people to compromise our principles to become more like the United Nations we shouldn't be looking for ways to make us more compatible with the UN we should be looking for ways to make ourselves distinct and separate from the United Nations the bottom line is who cares what the Secretary of State says are my rights? Yes, exactly. Who, who, who are you? Yes. Right. So, I don't care what you And that's, like I said, that's what the whole Ninth Amendment joke. is all about. You are not the definer of our rights. We are endowed, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by our Creator with these rights, not Pompeo, yeah. not, some, not some, some federal think tank. What's, right? what's the, and just because you think that I don't have a natural right doesn't mean it does, I don't have one. And just because you think that it's someone else's natural right to have my property against my permission doesn't make that to be true either. Yeah, where's the article section clause? Secretary of State of the United States shall define 
your rights. Yeah. Well, I mean, how do you even come up with the idea that you need to create a commission to give you advice yeah. so you can define my rights? Yeah, give me. Nobody give me, asked you. Give me the Who article cares? section and clause for the Commission on Inalienable Rights. <laughs> Which was created by the Secretary of State, by the way, not by Congress. Yeah, how about mind your own business? Yeah, right, exactly. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane, bro. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I'm glad JC popped in for the last few minutes to be with us. Uh, I, I, I wondered if he was going to be able to let me talk about these people without jumping in. <laughs> but I'm glad he did. Uh, God bless you guys. You ready, JC? Yeah. We'll see you, see you next time. <laughs>